Welcome to Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a pint. Tonight's episode is brought to you by our official sponsor, Craft Beer Cellar. Craft Beer Cellar, a family of retail craft beer stores focus on amazing beer, hospitality, education. They've got 23 locations in 11 states across the country. Chances are there's one near you. So visit craftbeercellar.com. That's with a C-E-L-L-A-R, craftbeercellar.com. Find the nearest location, and if you keep listening to us, you can win some free beer from the Craft Beer Cellar. We'll tell you all about that, and we actually have someone from Craft Beer Cellar with us tonight. We'll introduce him in a moment, and since it's a new month, uh, later in the show, we will announce the winner of the free beer from last month, so stay tuned. Absolutely. You can... Try to win uh, free beer in April by joining our conversation. You can follow us on Twitter at PubTheology and using hashtag PTLive. And on Facebook, you can comment at facebook.com slash PubTheology. So tweets and comments are welcome. And as Ogan said, we're going to announce March's winner at the end of the show. Are we, are we, up, on, are we up on iTunes yet? Yeah. I need to check that. I need to check that. I thought I'm you said we were. Oh. Um, I'm going off script. I'm sorry. And, that's okay. And, and Brian, Brian, you don't have to be uh you don't have to watch the live show to, to put comments, right? No. That's right. You can make comments anytime you're listening to the podcast, uh, and you can listen to the podcast uh, at soundcloud.com slash pubtheologylive through Stitcher or your other favorite podcast app and probably on iTunes, but Brian's gonna check on that and let you know officially next week. Thank you, Brian. Tonight, yeah, you're welcome. And tonight, we discuss craft beer. We discuss how the world will end, the best way to eat eggs, and whether or not the universe can speak to us as clearly as sacred texts like the Bible. So welcome, listeners, and welcome to all who are joining with us. Yeah, Ogan, and, Tia, and our special guest. Yes, I'd like to introduce our special guest, uh, Kelsey Roth from Craft Beer Cellar Corporate from headquarters. How are you doing, Kelsey? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, welcome to the show. Um, what do you What do you do at Craft Beer Cellar? Let's start with you a little bit. Uh, well, my official title is the Ambassador of Buzz, and nice. uh, <laughs> but uh, essentially, I'm. Uh, I do everything from marketing communications, uh, uh, programming, event coordination, and anything that has to do with uh, talking with the customer, talking with breweries, talking with distributors, uh, communication back and forth. Uh, I work with individual stores and to help them develop programs and events and things like that, and their marketing, social media, all those kinds of things. So if it belongs, if it has to do with communicating, talking about beer, that's falls into my job. That sounds like a really tough job. And I suppose you get to sample all the products so you can speak authentically about them. Uh, actually, we do, uh, because our stores are really um, focused on you know, carrying the best possible beer we can, we actually do sample everything that comes into the store. Uh, so that's, I know. Uh, now, the, the question uh, I want the good days. Well, <laughs> I think I think we're losing his audio a little bit there. Are you back? Yep. All right. So here's here's the real question I want to I want to hear is um, 
we are grateful, of absolutely grateful, that Craft Beer Cellar has decided to be a sponsor with us. What made you decide to take a chance on this fledgling, unknown podcast? Uh, and, and I know the correct answer is you get in on the ground floor so that when we become a behemoth that, you know, you're already in. But uh, apart from that... <laughs> When your rates go through the roof, you know, for sponsorship, then <laughs> uh, no, it was it was a couple of things. One is, you know, there's a uh, we one we like the local tie um, because you're located uh, here in Massachusetts, and uh, that's where we're based as well. Uh, but the other thing is that there's really a long history between uh, religion and beer, and you know, going all the way back to uh, early. Middle Ages and even beyond, the you know it was the monks who really brewed, uh, maintained beer standards, and really developed a lot of the styles and the beers that we drink today. So uh, if it really wasn't for religion, there really wouldn't be any beer. So nice. Oh, um, you heard it, folks. The... Beer, beer is holy. Yes. There you go. All right. So, so uh, what, are you, what are you drinking tonight, Kelsey? Yeah. Uh, so I'm drinking uh, from my craft beer cellar Tigu glass. Uh, this is uh, Allagash House Beer, and this is a beer that you can only, really only pick up at Allagash, and it's their, it's called a Patter's Beer, is the style, and it's based off of a, uh, t- going back to the monastic brewing, it's based off of the style that the monks would brew to drink there at the monastery. So it's a low-alcohol beer, it uses a Belgian yeast, it's got some wheat in it, and uh and it's called a Patter's beer, which also means father beer, because it's the beer that uh, they propagate the yeast for a lot of the other beers that they brew. So it's kind of a, a cultivating uh, beer, but it's also low alcohol and is something that uh, you know has a, a really nice long history. So beer I love, and plus you can only get it at the brewery. So when you say when you say low alcohol, what ABV are we talking here? I believe this is 4.5 percent. Gotcha. So nice. last la- last uh, I was sharing with the others that that bear that Tina and I shared when we were here last week. Uh, she was here visiting in town with me. She's in Richmond, and and we picked up um, I forgot what the name of it was, but it was that special like a hundred bottles that were that were made. A welcome respite. There you go, the welcome respite. And yes. and I f- I found out after the fact that the ABV on that was like twenty percent. <laughs> it doesn't drink like it. It was no, good. No, it was not. smooth. It does not, but we shared it, so we'll call it 10% each, so it doesn't really sound as bad as it really does. What are you drinking, Brian? I am drinking uh, an Avondale Battlefield IPA. It's a local uh, Alabama brewed IPA. So There we go. Well done, so, Tina. Wait, I thought Brian had a story about buying beer in Alabama. Oh, that's oh, right. Yes. So for those uh, tuning in, I'm... Not my usual location in Michigan. I am in sunny Gulf Shores, Alabama, where we have had mid-70s and perfect beach weather. But we got here. We didn't bring any beer. Uh, we didn't pack it because we didn't want to deal with the cooler and keeping it, you know, the right temp. I figured we'll buy it when we get there. So a couple nights ago, our first night here, uh, my wife and I and her brother head out to get some groceries, and uh, they've got this grocery store at... Uh, Winn-Dixie, they've got a great selection of craft beer, and I picked out I took the 20 minutes. I took 20 <laughs> minutes to pick out four perfect beers, right? Four different styles, four different six-packs. 
get it all set. My wife's like, come on, hurry up, hurry up. We're checking out, and the woman asks for my ID. I'm like, okay, here's my ID. And she, she says, and I'll need your wife's ID and your friend with you. And my wife's like, oh, well, I don't have my ID, but I'm not buying the beer. And uh, she's like, it's Alabama state law that anyone in your party must have ID or they wow. cannot sell you the beer. That's ridiculous. So you can't buy beer if you have your kids with you? So here's the thing. You can buy it if you have your kids with you, but not your adult spouse who does not have her ID. <laughs> so, did you send her out to the car? <laughs> I, said, I said, can I go out to, can I send her to the car and come back in? She'll say no because I know she was with you. Oh, that's so ridiculous. Oh, how did you use this woman? The beer, I don't know. <laughs> how did you end um, up getting the beer if she didn't have so any? We, well, we got out of Winn-Dixie and found ourselves the liquor store that uh, only I went in. <laughs> Good move. And are you drinking that out of a wine? Are we drinking out of wine glasses tonight? We're drinking Listen, a beer. When you're renting a vacation place, you don't have your choice of uh, glassware. Ah, gotcha. I, I will this not. is actually a beer glass. So yes, that yours. Is, that is very cool, Kelsey. I was wondering, I was wondering where we could get some of those. Uh, at your local craft beer cellar. And that was my <laughs> other question. That was my other question: is how south, how far south do you guys come so far? Uh, well, we have a store in Brandon, Florida, and oh. so that's the furthest south. Uh, we just opened. Uh, I was going to say, as of last weekend, we are now 25 stores um, across the country. We just opened Hickory, North Carolina. And we have Hot Springs, Ar uh, yeah, Hot Springs, Arkansas, is in development, as well as uh, what else do we have in the South coming up? Um, I think that's it right now for Southern. Do you States. have any timing on Grand Rapids, Michigan? They are uh, in the property search phase right now. Um, we're hoping probably, uh, depending on construction and all that, pro uh, maybe beginning of the fall. It's usually awesome. about a six-month turnaround. Perfect. Great. Perfect timing. What are you drinking, Tina? Um, I am drinking... Sorry, Kelsey, I forgot you were going to be here. Oh, you, you said you do have wine as well. Um, mm -hmm. I'm drinking Red Diamond Merlot from Washington State. It's a 2013, and it's actually very yummy. Do you remember what they said on Sideways? I'm not drinking Merlot! <laughs> what? That Side movie, movie killed Merlot sales. What movie was that? Sideways. Paul Giamatti, did you not see that movie? I did not see it. You oh, say it like it's a sin to not see the movie. You have to watch that movie. If you like a classic. Ogan, I just watched The Big Lebowski this year. <laughs> oh, no. Don't say that out loud. You just embarrass yourself. Baby steps. <laughs> But in the movie, in the movie, he was like a wine connoisseur, and he hated Merlot, and and Merlot sales actually went down after the movie because oh my gosh. of the comments he made uh, in the movie. Oh, that's that's just goes to show how impressionable people are. Yes, we're all we're all lemons. Um, I'm going spiritual with my beer tonight. Uh, this is Dogfish Head Namaste, one of my old favorites. White beer with orange slices, lemongrass, coriander, and peppercorns. So Sounds good. I'm I'm crass and uncouth. I'm going without a glass, drinking straight from the <laughs> great, great choice. The old namaste. Well done. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well done. So, right. so Kelsey, do you have a favorite style? Um, no, not really. I mean, there's I like I like beer in a pretty much every style. It's kind of kind of like saying, you know, what's your favorite genre of book? I guess maybe. Um, but right. it's 
you know, I, I there are beers that I don't like, um, but there is no styles that I don't like. Um, and I would say if I had to choose, I generally tend to go Belgian or IPA. So hoppy or beefy. You're speaking my language, my friend. And only two of y'all are speaking it. I'm not a Hoppy Bear fan. Um, I, I forgot to mention, I picked up this Namaste at my local craft beer cellar store in Amesbury, Massachusetts. I'm supposed to say that. Um, so plug in, plug, in the, plug in the Amesbury store. Just because I'm here. Just because you're here. Well done, you know, well I generally done. do say it. Uh, <laughs> but my mind tonight. But, uh, but great, great place, great facility. Okay. So, uh, Kelsey, we are, of course, a show about craft beer and faith, and as we understand it, you've got uh, some heritage uh, in the family, at least, in terms of uh, ministers. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that, and maybe why you chose not to go into uh, ministry, but rather into craft beer? Uh, well, that's a long story, but the shorter one is uh, that... Uh, so my family comes from a long line of Seventh-day Adventists, and we, uh, and technically it can't be that long because the religion was only started in the 1800s, but it was, but my grandfather and their fathers, my great-grandfathers, were both minister, Seventh-day Adventist, Seventh Adventist ministers, and they were also missionaries. So wow. my... Doubling down. Yeah, so my grandparents, uh, they were... Uh, one was born in Tanzania, Africa. Another one was uh, born in Brazil. Another one was born in Sweden, England. Um, they then eventually uh, all became missionaries in Brazil. So my parents were born and raised in Brazil, and then they immigrated to the United States after that. And uh, my grandparents on my father's side still live in Brazil, and my grandparents on my mother's side are, you know, they eventually moved here to the U.S., but... Uh, why I did not go into the ministry, um, mostly my parents didn't follow in their footsteps either. My dad uh, went into medicine and my mother went into education. But as I think we got older, we kind of looked at, you know, my father was getting a little bit more disillusioned with some of the dogma that was going on in the church. And uh, he actually worked to kind of set up a splinter church within the faith that was a little bit more progressive and really looked at what was going on in the religion and what they were teaching people and finding like the the pieces that really spoke to us today because if you look back at like some of uh, if you don't know what Seventh-day Adventism is it follows the writings of a prophet called Ellen G. White and she was uh, from Battle Creek, Michigan and she wrote things like uh, you shouldn't have a bicycle um, you know, and the reasons were back then bicycles were status symbols. So, so it was kind of like you should be of the world and not, or be in the world but not of the world. And uh, but some people took those dogmas kind of literally. So they're saying you shouldn't wear jewelry, you shouldn't wear makeup, um, and things like that. And my father and some of the his his friends were like these these aren't updated ideals. These aren't things that we really want to be that we think apply to our lives today. And so they set, set up kind of a progressive branch of the church, uh, caused some waves and some ripples in the church, and eventually uh, my dad decided uh, this isn't the religion for me anymore and stepped away, and we went 
started going to services at like uh, a Church of Christ and some Unitarian services and things like that. But at that point, I was kind of in high school already and wasn't really that interested in religion anymore. <laughs> so, uh, so, so we just, uh, now that you are into into beer manufacturing, I mean, it, I, I guess from maybe a family perspective, it's bad enough you guys you know stepped away from the tradition, but now you're also brewing beer, so. Are you officially blacklisted, or they come to accept you? I haven't checked their official rosters to see if my name has been stricken from them, <laughs> but uh, I would say, you know, I, I don't know, probably, um, you know, but but then again, you know, there there are good people in the church as well who are very welcoming and you know have open arms and are very tolerant to other things and under you know. I'm, medical evidence shows that you know having one or two beers a day is actually prolongs life and is healthy for you uh, same with wine and um, or one cocktail uh, so you know I think uh, the church since then has progressed a bit and is a bit more open and tolerant to new ideas but at that time certainly it was a much more conservative church than I think it is today but in some ways you guys can relate you're they're saving souls and you're saving lives yeah absolutely Oh, and, yeah. That was so bad. That wow. was so bad. Well Sorry. Done. Tough room tonight. Tough yeah. room tonight. We can save some souls with beer, too. There, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I won't save my soul. <laughs> Take us in with so, some questions. So, we'll yeah, so speak, speaking of saving lives, uh, our, our exciting question tonight is, what do you think will cause the end of human life on Earth? So... You know, what's your apocalyptic theory? And then we've got a few options, and you can choose one or say none of those. Here's what I think. Okay, so we've got A, a human-induced climate disaster. So that's maybe not imminent, but perhaps in the works. B, a meteor strike. C, alien invasion. D, Jesus returning and taking people to heaven. E, human life on end won't end. Human life on Earth won't end. Jesus will return and fix everything, renew the Earth, etc. F will escape to another planet. Thank you, NASA. G nuclear war will be the end of human life. Or H uh, President Trump will be the end of human life on Earth. Wow! Wow! <laughs> right for the juggler, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm I'm. Uh, let's let's let our guests answer first. What, what do you think, Kelsey? Which one of those you want to pick? Are you are you going with your own? Uh, well, I was, I'm surprised Zombie Apocalypse wasn't listed. Right? Ooh. So, yeah, I was just thinking we were short on zombies. Well done. <laughs> uh, well, you can maybe categorize that as like human-induced, uh, you know, destruction. Mm. I was gonna uh, say zombies technically still human a little bit, so it's just a new human form, but not really ending human life. I don't know. Yeah, and, and whatever zombie theory you subscribe to, you know, it, it could be a human-created virus that spreads through, you know, that creates the zombies. So. Right. Okay. I'm going with the meteor. I think the meteor will take us out. Um, what what planet was it? In? Was it was it uh, Saturn or Neptune that just got hit with a meteor a few weeks ago, and they actually somebody actually was recording it. There was an astronomer who actually happened to have his telescope pointed there and saw when the meteor hit. No one, no one else picked this up, or is this me? No. Where did this uh, hit? I forget which planet it was. I think it was like ne either Neptune or Saturn. Uh, a meteor. Well, it wasn't our planet, so. 
So who cares, right? Right. <laughs> I think if it went into Saturn, it would just kind of go poof because it's a gas giant. Yeah. So, so maybe it must have been Neptune, maybe. It might have been Neptune, but I'm going. I'm going with the meteor, and um, I don't care what people say. We're not going to land on it and blow it into two like Bruce Willis did in in, in, <laughs> in yeah. our in our Megadon. Uh, yeah. That's um, I'm going with A. I, I think that the greatest accomplishment of the human species is going to be our own extinction. Ooh, doom, doomsday. No, I just, yeah. I just think we're arrogant. I think we're an arrogant species. But we are a resilient one. Yeah, we're like fleas on this earth. Right. Yeah, but, but fleas, who can, <laughs> fleas who can brew craft beer very well. Right. <laughs> And and we can't ever get rid of fleas, you know. So I think I yeah, think yeah, you can. Yeah, you wait. I I think eventually the Earth will get tired of us and shake us off. Well, that's um, you might have a point there. Maybe Our Mother Maybe Nature Gaia. will have her revenge. Right? There you go, Gaia. Will There's that storm win. in me. There's that storm in me, Kelsey. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Storms coming. What do you think, Brian? So I tend to lean with Tina. Uh, I think climate change, uh, climate disaster, human-induced, uh, I think that's the likeliest scenario, uh, although a good meteor strike could put us out of our misery quicker. So you're not, you're not, you're not holding out for, for Jesus coming back on the white horse? You're not, that's, that's... <laughs> I'm not... not putting my money on that horse. Uh, I hate to say it. Okay. Fair, fair enough. Um, but I, I think it's worth exploring, right, that, that line of thinking, uh, because I think if you ask a uh, person on the street who's a churchgoer, depending right. on what church that is and what denomination they belong to, I think a lot of people don't really think about this much because we have this sort of times theology where God works it all out. And for most folks, that looks like Jesus coming back, whether that's to come back and take us away or to come back and fix everything. But that's, I mean, that's not, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so my question is, did you hear that narrative growing up? And and then since none of us answered that way, when did you start to think, yeah, maybe that's not how things are going to go down the line? Yeah, I did. I did hear that narrative growing up. It scared the bejesus out of me. No pun intended. It scared the bejesus out of me growing up in my church life, uh, most of my life, including into into my early twenties, which was then when I learned about the um, the symbology of Revelation and that it's really just you know the whole the uh, apocalyptic literature and it really is speaking about the Roman Empire and it was really written about. The, the times that it was written about as opposed to an end time. Um, so that kind of shifted things for me in terms of, yeah, there's not, that's, that's not going to what happens actually. So that's, that's when it became, that, that was my first real like crisis of faith and disillusionment in that, in the literal um, understanding of the scriptures. Um, I grew up with it too, but I can't say I ever really bought into it. Like it just didn't make sense to me. Um, and and isn't it like Jesus is going to come back and take all the Christians with him, and then everybody else is going to live on the earth and suffer for the next thousand years or something like that? Pretty much. That's a, so well. It's not that's technically the wiping out of humankind. Yeah, that's a certain 
strain of Christianity has a view that uh, there'll be a thousand year reign of terror. Jesus, no, of Jesus. Oh. oh. <laughs> Hopefully, not. Hopefully not. For zombie Jesus. Some it's the same thing. <laughs> and you know, there's there's the rapture theology where Jesus comes and you know everybody sort of swoop, all the believers swoop into the air. So that's you know partial destruction of those who don't get swooped up, and then rescue of those who do. And I got to tell you, also a pretty morbid theory. It, it is, and when I when I moved away from that theory, there was actually a feeling of disappointment because I was actually kind of like looking forward and hoped, hoping the rapture would happen in my lifetime because I was like, let's go, fly like Superman, you know. Exactly. I was like, wait, that's not gonna happen. That's a little, that's a little disappointing. But but in all seriousness, there is for for those of us sometimes who who shift out of that understanding and that belief, there is often a a literal sense of grief and loss from the story and meaning that we've held on to for so many years and yes. you know, and there's like a void created what are we going to replace it with and there's and I think some people hold on to it because they don't know how to deal with the sense of loss that arises if they let go of it yeah how about I you Kelsey? oh I'm sorry uh, go ahead, yeah Kelsey. I'm yeah, as Seventh-day Adventist, I mean, we definitely learned that, and so that's what I was taught growing up, and yeah, we had the whole, the rapture, and then, you know, there was the time of troubles, and then, you know, Christ would come, and he would bring all the, the good Christians up to heaven, and uh, then there would be, yeah, I think, I remember, maybe a thousand years of, you know, evil, and then God would then destroy the earth, and then remake it, and then bring heaven back to earth again. Uh, so heaven was up there, and then would come back, and this would be remade into into heaven on earth. Um, uh, uh, when did I stop believing that? Uh, probably when I realized it was kind of it seemed far fetched. <laughs> but it also never for me that whole, the whole rapture thing uh, felt unfair, and uh, I, I was I always felt like there was you know uh, you know. Who, who, you know? I guess God decides who's good enough to 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 be sent up to heaven. But, uh, but how do we really know what that criteria is? And, you know, and I might be upset if like my f best friend didn't get raptured along with me. And then what if I go and he doesn't? And you know, I would feel pretty bad at that point. And then I'm I might get angry that my friend wasn't there with me or my mother or my father or my brother or sister or somebody like that. So for me, it, the, the story just had a lot of holes in it. Yeah. And too. so that I, might be the first time I've actually heard that word used as a verb got raptured. Yeah, raptured. <laughs> oh really? That's a classic way to say it. Really? Raptured, <laughs> no, usually, usually the way I've always heard it is, you know, when the rapture happens, yeah. <laughs> I've never, never heard it in the verb form. You got yeah, raptured. What, what's We're the past tense of rapture? <laughs> oh got milk? God. Got raptured? <laughs> <laughs> and I imagine in that Seventh-day Adventist uh, timeline or configuration of the future, there probably was no beer in heaven or in the new earth. So, I mean, at some point you got to let that go. Yeah. Yep. What exactly. was the point then? <laughs> That would that would be a serious deprivation. Like I like I said, the horror. If it was a thousand years of Jesus' reign and there's no beer, then yes, horror. Yes. I went absolutely. to a. I went to Jesus a wasn't against beer. Sorry, go ahead, no. Brian. He even turned water into wine. 
right? Well, exactly. yes. But I, I would imagine that those who held the view that he was coming back to establish reign will hold the hold the more puritanical view of Jesus and the pristine view of Jesus as one who didn't imbibe. Yes, probably. Otherwise, if he was coming back and turning the water into wine, we'd all be hoping the rapture was going on. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> probably a topic for another time, but I'm, uh, something I've never really researched was, because monks today drink beer and wine and... Uh, you know, within moderation, and you know, there is a long history of uh, religious ties to to beer and wine. I wonder at what point uh, alcohol became a stigma. You know, became the prohibition. A, <laughs> well, yeah, before then, Little certainly. Um, you know, in the 1800s, there are certainly temperance movements and things like that, and I think you know, but uh, you know, Martin Luther was a, a huge fan of beer, and uh, you know, some of the the great figures in history were, you know, religious figures. Probably, in history they they probably figures. came up with it around the same time they came up with the idea of celibacy. Sure, yeah. <laughs> You're right. That is a whole discussion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but but truly that that idea of 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 um, in order to have a much closer, pure experience of God, we we deprive ourselves of all the sensory distractions. You know, sex and booze. Or two okay, of for like 48 hours. <laughs> or, or for your whole life. <laughs> I don't see the point of the whole life thing. I think life is meant to be enjoyed. That's you want to go to heaven or not here, Tina? That's a quotable thing <laughs> there. Sure, for 48 hours. You're good. I want to see the criteria for getting into heaven before I decide, Brian. Oh, dear. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So I went to, I went to a, uh, a Bible camp as a kid, which... Looking back now, I see it was kind of a fundamentalist uh, sort of uh, setup. But you know, as a eight-year-old, ten-year-old, whatever, you're just you know singing songs about Jesus and learning how to shoot a bow and arrow and uh, you know canoe and stuff like that. But they also would occasionally have. Um, they certainly would talk about Jesus coming back and the rapture. But I remember once or twice they had us watch a movie in this dark room about the rapture happening and it was like scared the tar out of you. And like a Christian horror movie. <laughs> yes, and I remember like with a friend of mine, we went and climbed this hill where there were trees and we could see the storm coming over the lake that our camp was on and we thought, this is it, Jesus is coming back. <laughs> and you know, we were immediately thinking of something naughty we had done and now we're screwed. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, something like, it put I don't know, there's just this, in. like, yeah, it's like, is that a healthy form of religious uh, teaching to kids? To me, it just feels like maybe it isn't. Spiritual abuse is what it is. Yeah. Spiritual and religious yeah. ab abuse to make children um, have that fear uh, relationship with God. That's, that's you know, it's... it's Kids, kids don't have that kind of nuance understanding to hear on one hand God is love and then the other hand this experience of God is love but you will be punished if you know it's it's a very it's a very you know unhealthy kind of parental setup in a way and 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 then to be told that you know the return can happen at any moment so you better be always on your best behavior because you just never know when like who can who can really exist in a healthy way under that kind of pressure? I can barely that get kind of access constant to, fear. Uh, 
Yeah, exactly. You yeah, know, so a follow-up. Oh, go ahead, Tina. Well, I was just going to say um, that that kind of makes me think that, like, don't you think that most people parent the way they see God? There is a good correlation. Yes. Then my, well, child, I'm, my child is in serious trouble then. Well, I was going to ask if the, if the whole question of hell is, is related to this um, because, you know, we're talking about end time stuff here and if, if you have a view uh, that the ultimate end for half or actually three quarters or 90% of humanity is eternal damnation, uh, eternal conscious torment and hell, is that also spiritual abuse even if you're teaching that to fellow adults? Big fat yes on that one. Yeah, you're based, it's about control. And if your motivation is fear, if if your motivation to seek uh, I believe a relationship with God. However, you interpret God, whether it's, you know you interpret God as you know the you know the theistic idea of God out there, or or you know the divine nature of who you are. But if your motivation is to get into it from a fear place to avoid something, you know that kind of negative reinforcement never works out well. Isn't that the same so, kind of uh, theory behind Elf on the Shelf? Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me started on Elf. <laughs> yes, well done, Kelsey. Well played, sir. Well played. <laughs> did you I guys use it. Elf on the Shelf with your kids? Uh, no, I didn't. No, I well, I I barely know what it is, but I know enough to, yeah, catch the joke. I just it have was... cats. <laughs> no kids, just cats. <laughs> Do you but, let your cats play so, with the elf on the shelf? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. apart. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a question is, is it possible to hold a doctrine of hell in a non-spiritually abusive, manipulative way? Ooh. I don't see how. Because I know a lot of good people, most probably people I know, who hold a some version of hell and would not think that it's somehow inappropriate or spiritually abusive to share that belief with their kids, their neighbors, everyone they know. Um, so I'll, I, mean, I'll, I, I think in, in some ways, I mean, it, it depends if you're talking about a literal hell, you know, with fire and brimstone and all of that, or if you're talking about, uh, you know, as Jean-Paul Sartre, I think, said, you know, hell is other people, Jeez. or, uh, you know, or there, I think there's even... Uh, probably theologians who would argue that the times that we're living in right now would constitute as a form of hell where there's, you know, sin everywhere and there's evil rampant and, uh, you know, atrocities are being committed. You know, there is persecution and death and torture and horrible things going on. Um, so maybe we're living in it right now. Um, so I think there's... Well, when you say it like that... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we don't know. But that I think yeah, it's getting hotter here. Yeah. <laughs> Global warming, you know. Come on. Yeah. Let's take, no, I'm not going to sing that. Uh, but, I, but I think there's, uh, you know, the, kind of the concept of mental or you know, kind of spiritual uh, uh, tor- uh, turmoil, or you know, where you're 
your mind or your your sense of being in the world and your place in the world just feels alien uh, and you know, and lost. And I think that you know that can kind of be a form of hell. Well, well put. I was going to go that route too with with the metaphysical idea that we use for hell in Unity, for example, is is hell is you know that state of consciousness that we impose on ourselves, thinking we are separate from God, um, and and having the opposite state of consciousness where we're we're clear we in union with God as one with God. So so we can have those different ideas. That that idea of hell, I have you know no problem sharing. But in terms of an afterlife punishment. And heaven is an afterlife reward. No, I, I, I think it's. I, I think parents are doing a disservice to share that with their with their kids. And I, and you know, I do know people who still do. And to their credit, I think uh, many of them are realizing this and tend to emphasize the more uh, positive heavenly reward than the punishment. So I, I, I think in general, a lot of folks are shifting towards the the positive reinforcement reward after the fact and not dwelling on the negative aspect of it and I think I think many many mainstream uh, uh, faith systems are, are going that way as well whether whether you know they would tell you that they, they still believe in that literal place or idea of it that's not what they're pushing they're not they're not trying to motivate by fear they're trying to encourage by inspiration yeah, I think you're right, Og, and I think even as you said, a lot of folks who hold it are de-emphasizing it um, in terms of the more positive aspects of their faith and the relationship with God. Um, although I did hear a good uh, Baptist sermon uh, on Alabama radio on our beach uh, over the weekend, where uh, the preacher was happy to go into into uh, into detail about the horrors of hell and. Uh, so that that belief is still pretty strong and alive, um, and nobody can do it like, I, I, like a Southern Baptist. <laughs> yeah, and I think even if you hold it with sort of good intentions, teaching about it will necessarily—I don't know—it's it's just that that kind of idea can't help but manipulate people. Well, yeah, and, and nobody nobody in any kind of abusive situation realizes that they're they don't they're not. In their mind, they're not doing it to be abusive to the other people. They truly believe that it's the right way to, to, to teach those people. You know, they truly in their hearts believe there is a hell they're going to burn in, and they're scared to death, so they're just passing that fear on to other people. You know, they're not doing it necessarily maliciously. They're, you know, they're just passing on their beliefs like everybody else. It's right, just, right. They're trying, to, they're trying to save their friend. They're trying to yeah. save other people. Their, their intentions are good, but, you know... Even good intentions can be scary and abusive. Yeah. You know. All right, I'm going to move us to a new topic, if that oh. sounds okay. Yep. Yes. All right. The theologian Matthew Fox points out that human writing was only invented a few thousand years ago, while the universe itself is billions of years old. And what he's doing by pointing that out is saying that the universe ought to be the primary and first place we seek to learn about God, and that scripture ought to be, or any other human writing, ought to be secondary. Wondering thoughts about that. I like them. I agree. Hmm. Well, I can jump in here and say uh, one of the things that 
growing up that my parents would always do is the you know we had because you know when you're a kid you hate going to church because you got the suit on and the tie and everything and it's always hot and sticky and uh, you know and so we were always like uh, church I don't want to go to church uh, so uh, always a alternative that was acceptable was uh, taking us on a walk in the woods or the, you know to go to a museum or to go to the yes. zoo or go uh, look at nature in some way go to an arboretum or uh, something like that, and to kind of uh, to look at what God's creations and be able to appreciate and to uh, kind of feel uh, the spiritual inspiration through that. And I think to this day, I still, uh, yeah, people will say, you know, oh, do you go, still go to church? And I don't. And I, for me, church is listening to a great album or, uh, you know, going on a hike somewhere or going walking along the beach or something like that. Because for me, the, the, the nature, science, the earth, music, art, all of these things are, are church for me. Love it. Well said. Well said. Any, any thoughts, uh, Tina on that? No, I, I completely agree with him. Um, yeah, I agree. I I find God in nature more than I find him anywhere else, and certainly yeah. not. Ogan, yeah. Uh, let's see, Ogan, you're muted. So any any thoughts to you, Ogan? <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> my, my child was feeding the dog, and eating. you were unusually <laughs> quiet, Ogan. <laughs> he was soaking in our wisdom as usual. Uh, there you go. I think you remember a complaint last week about not being able to get a word in when I'm talking, so I thought I'd do all the favor. And, you know, <laughs> <quiet>. <laughs> and blame the dog. <laughs> yeah, blame, blame, blame the dog. No, I think I think that the I think this is the issue with the idea of of current divine revelation is that in many ways, you know, we we've set up so many things as the authorities, whether it be the Bible or the minister, or the priest, or, or whatever. And when we set these things up as authorities, we, we doubt ourselves as, as, as those who are just as um, open and yes. susceptible to, to revelation. And, you know, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting place to put yourself in. I, always, I like to say that I don't believe the the job of a minister is to fill the pews of a church, but to empty the pews of a church, to to get people to that place where they they realize, you know, the fullness of their own divine connection, and they don't really kind of need to show up to hear anyone. You know, granted, people come together more for the community aspect of things, but but yeah, the, the, I'm on this path with you too. I'm no more no more wiser, or more enlightened, or awakened. You know, maybe maybe I might have this more as a focus because it's my profession, and you know, in some ways I might be more practiced, but but not. I mean, there there are people in my church. There's a guy in in my congregation who has been involved in in church and ministry. I mean, much longer than I was even alive, and he actually um, he actually studied with some of the great theologians of our time, like like Paul Tillich. So you know, he has that much more depth of knowledge and wisdom than I do. And it 
sometimes intimidates me to know that he's sitting in the congregation and I'm up on the platform speaking and I'm like, this this situation should be reversed. What what is going on here? But you know, and I said this to him one day, and he's like, absolutely not. We're we're all in a place where the divine shows up, speaks through as us, and no one of us is any more, you know, open open than than another. Some of us may speak better, some of us may write better, some of us may devote more attention to it because it's our profession or we just have this this affectation to it. But yeah, that's that that's about it. We're we're all conduits. I, I think, like that. Yeah. I think looking back historically too, um, you know, uh, pre Christian times, um, you know, the the pagan religions you know, where did they get their stories from? You know, uh, Thor ham- hammering on the anvil was thunder and, their way of explaining thunder and lightning. Um, you know, uh, these the the nature around them they used religion to explain it because they didn't really con- un- understand scientific theory or you know things like that back then. So, you know, I think even you know going back to written language is relatively new what they did have was nature and they created spirituality and looked for spirituality through it. I think that's right, Kelsey. And do you also think that we see that reflected in the Bible itself, uh, moments of humanity looking at nature and interpreting it theologically? Sure. Uh, the burning bush, you know, um, the, the Abraham and the ram, um, you know, all of these things. You know, I think they're, Yeah. <laughs> and nature has always played a. I, I think you see themes throughout the Bible. Um, you know, we're, we're yes. nature uh, walking on water. Um, you know, and the plagues. Yeah, the plagues. Um, for sure. Yeah. And Noah. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the big one. <laughs> That's what I said. The flood. So I, I really like the. You listening uh, to me at all, Tina? Or no? no you just. I totally tune you out, Ogan. Wow. I like the approach you talk about, uh, Ogan, where you're, uh, I think when people think God only speaks through this book known as the Bible, they learn not to trust themselves. Yes. And I like your approach because it's empowering people to tune into what's happening within, and I think there's a whole lot of maturity uh, and growth that that opens up which is stunted when you tell people don't, in fact, don't trust yourself, only trust this book written a long time ago that you can't always understand. But, as Ogan said, that keeps the pews filled and it keeps people coming back because they don't know how to deal with things on their own. It's marketing. I'll quote quote Jesus, who also quoted um, you know, from from the Torah, the you know, is it not written that you're gods? And then he himself said, you know, you are the light of the world. Um, so, so I think if we really read the scriptures carefully, that view of our own idea of, you know, our own divinity and being able to be that light is, is written there. We, you know, we just mm-hmm. got to look hard enough, find it, um, and and believe it, um, and look look to Jesus as not the exception but the example. Isn't uh, so? Let's. I mean, to say, well, you can just go out in the uh, out in the world, and you know, I'm at the beach right now, and I feel like that's nourishing and, and rich. But isn't it just sort of 
nebulous and nonspecific isn't uh, an advance of a holy scripture, is that it's got some more specifics about God and the spiritual life, whereas nature is just kind of there? Well, I think you need a teacher. Um, you know, and whoever that teacher is, you know, whether it's, whether you look to the, you know, it's a guide, you know, so it's, if it's the guide who says, you know, oh, this is a cardinal in the tree, or this is what kind of tree it is, um, you know, or if it's the, uh, you're, you're using the Holy Scripture as a, a guide for life, um, you know, I think there's, you do need somebody to help explain and interpret, for sure. Well said, good. Love, love that analogy. We gotta have him back, Keith. Yeah, this, <laughs> I know, right? We thought we were just getting a beer guy here. No, right? <laughs> he was kind of all playing it down. He's like, "I'll be all right," you know. But yeah, I have to down. say though, I I don't know if I necessarily agree with you, Kelsey, because Uh-oh, I dogged her off. Oh, yeah. but I'm off the hook. Comes <laughs> <laughs> <was> a storm. <laughs> yeah, here comes. Um, no, so I don't know if I necessarily agree with you because I know, um, like I I said last week for Easter, I. I detached myself. I went down to the creek behind my mom's house by myself. It's my favorite place in the world. And um, I just sat in the woods. And, like, I have such profound thoughts when I just clear my head and sit in the woods and sit with nature. And I don't get me wrong. I totally get nature signs. Um, I've, I've actually had a lot of teachings uh, about, you know, reading signs in nature and whatnot. But there's, I mean, I just think that, that when there's nothing around you, there's nothing man-made around you, you just open up a connection that you can just receive downloads that don't necessarily need to be interpreted. Mm-hmm. So, I think it can be both. You know, I agree. Yeah. Monks meditate for a reason. So, Exactly, exactly. I think, I think there's space because, you know, I can... Uh, sit at the beach and, and just enjoy the aesthetic experience, the beauty of the waves and that rhythmic, you know, splash on the shore. I mean, that is just so, you know, oof, so good. And, um, you know, I can hear the seagulls and, and, and that aesthetically, but if I want to know details about the tides or about the, you know, the sea life and all of that, I, I need some sort of an expert to, to tell me a little bit about that, uh, I'm not just going to intuit that or, or know it. Um, so, yeah, I think there's there's ways to have connection and, and learning. Um, we can go to Wikipedia. With, with guides and uh, <laughs> certainly certainly independently. Absolutely. Um, we, we, we only got a few minutes left. I think I think we should um, announce our winner, do you think, maybe? Hey, did we Let's get any tweets tonight or anything? Yeah, Brian, you've been, you've been following the tweet? The I know, tweet? I think Brian's slacking. Yeah. No, I am following. Uh, we've gotten a few comments. Uh, let me see what the latest is. All right. Um, so Will says, what if heaven is life here on earth after enlightenment or being saved and that death of this body is too late and that life here on earth without enlightenment is hell? Great comment. Will and I think that tracks with some of the conversation we've had tonight. Well, it's interesting what the Buddhists would say is, you know, what uh, before enlightenment, chop would carry water; after enlightenment, chop would carry water. That it's but it's all in how you see it, right? That your life, you know, necessarily profoundly changes, but how you show up in it is what really 
uh, changes, which is not which is not uh, necessarily different from what uh, Will said. And just just add in that that extra piece. I think I think we are under this um, may, maybe this this not accurate understanding that you know after we are awakened, saved, whatever phrase we want to use, that all of a sudden life just becomes miraculously enjoyable and no troubles come our way. Um, but not necessarily, just that we show up differently in our situations. I think that's right. Uh, and then on Twitter, we have a comment from Heidi about do we, do we need each other? Can we sort of go the spiritual independently? She says, uh, yes, we don't have all the answers, so we need one another to better understand God. So we need community and we need full pews. <laughs> you know what? She, she, did, she says something very profound, though. Is I, I believe we find God more in our relationships with other people than we do anywhere else. Yes. That, that's spoken from an introvert. <laughs> Re, I always say it, too. Relationships are the ultimate spiritual practice. Yeah. And, and from a more uh, realistic, um, on this earth plane, got bills to pay, yes, I do want full pews as well. In my, in I was going to say, the full pews spoken <laughs> spoken as a true clergywoman, so I, I hear you there, Heidi. <laughs> I hear you there. So, time to announce our winner of March uh, or tweet, and drum roll. The winner is Jason Wilkinson from Lansing, Michigan. Yay! Hey. Well done, Jason. And he tweeted out. He tweeted out, "A Wiccan, a Buddhist, a Christian, a humanist, and a Jew walk into a bar. It's not a joke. It's pub theology." Now, can we actually use that as a tagline? Because that is freaking awesome. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> we Pretty we good. Would have, we would have to ask him. So, um, I think the next best thing to do is. Uh, uh, Jason, if you're listening, um, go ahead and like DM us, direct message us your uh, your address, and we can uh, mail this out to you. And or it's a twenty-five dollar uh, gift card to Craft Beer Cellar. And um, is there one near Lansing? Is there one in Lansing? Is there? Oh, Grand Rapids will be uh, yep. the closest. It'll be fall. It sounds like there you go. You can stock, stockpile till fall. There you go. And we are currently working on a uh, an online shopping cart, uh, so hopefully uh, Michigan will allow shipping, and you can just go and order beer online and have it shipped right to you. That is awesome. That is awesome. Well, Kelsey, great to have you tonight. Any uh, parting words for our listeners? Uh, no, and this has been been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So, and uh, you know, we're we're proud supporters of the show. So uh, keep up the great work. Awesome, thank you. Awesome, thank you, thank you for being our official sponsor. You might, I think, you might have secured that uh, first <laughs> first episode of the month guest spot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Uh, Great to have you, Kelsey, and thanks all who tuned in and listened, whether you're with us now live or tuning into the podcast. We'd love for you to connect and spread the word on social media. So find us on the Twitters and the Facebooks, and please uh, share with friends. You can, of course, listen anytime at soundcloud.com slash pubtheologylive or your favorite podcast app. You can find a pod, uh, Pub Theology near you at pubtheology.com. And again, thanks again to Kelsey and Craft Beer Cellar, our official sponsor. Visit craftbeerseller.com. 
for a location near you. And we are out. Later. Thank you.